Man, I hate these stupid gigs. Disgusting. A mustached man said, his gruff voice muffled by the plastic face shield attached to his white rubber suit. Yeah, dude, they're certainly something. The city's gonna get in our ass if we don't take it, though. An identically dressed, younger-looking woman, perhaps in her early 30s, replied, Uh, you guys have done these big Fatberg jobs before? I've only taken the small chunks that get up in the grates. A young man, fresh-faced and barely out of school, said to the both of them. He wore a different suit, noticeably newer and without the faded lettering that adorned his co-workers' suits. They lowered themselves down a ladder into the Philadelphia sewers, giving each other space before dropping down into the ankle-deep muck that covered the bottom of the brick tunnel. Yeah, Matt, we actually ran the last one together, me and Jim. It was a ten-tonner, so not as big, but it's still rough work, Stacy replies. Jim actually fell into the thing one time. She grinned through her faceplate. Dumbass, she jokingly calls out to Jim, who's 15 feet or so in front of his younger colleagues. Jim ignores her and begins to stomp through the waist. He's such a baby, Stacy mutters to Matt, giggling. The three of them work their way through old brick tunnels for another six minutes until coming up a descending ramp that brought them into nearly chest-deep water. The stench was noxious even through their plastic masks. Their rubber sheet suits submerged, appearing yellow-brown in the semi-transparent sewage liquid. They moved slowly, but arrived soon at the first wall of the waste-formed cave they were to excavate. Matt felt a pit form in his stomach as he realized the task ahead of them. He wanted to hurl, but decided he had to put on a brave facade for his older co-workers. Stacy, however, had no such qualms. Jesus Christ, that thing is huge. Are you seeing this, Jim? Stacy exclaimed, attempting to jog through the waste and upon reaching it, digging her shovel deep into the mass. Yeah, Stace, I'm seeing it. Damn, it's a big job. Wonder if they're gonna have to call in a bigger team. Almost seems like a Londoner, Jim replied. A Londoner? Matt asked, racking his brain for some obscure reference he wasn't picking up on. Stacy chimed in. Oh, in England, they excavated a burg the size of, like, a dozen of those fancy double buses they have over there. We usually call anything over 20 tons a Londoner, but that thing was, like, 130? It's crazy shit, man. Jim snickered at her last sentence. Oh, pipe down, you old geezer, no pun intended. Stacy playfully punched Jim in the arm as his steely face broke into a big fit of laughter. After a few minutes of joking around, the group finally grabbed their shovels and began to dig. The tools slid into the mass of human waste, animal fat, and discarded tissue, making a sickening squick as they carved into the walls. In the course of a half hour, they managed to dislodge a few large chunks of the beast, making the beginnings of a shallow tunnel. Matt knew that this was the first step to clearing a fatberg, to make a tunnel straight through the thing. As they rested for a moment, he noticed an object lodged in the mass. It was a silvery cigarette lighter, in what seemed to be a decent condition considering the circumstances. He picked it up and examined it for a moment. Hey, what'd you find, dude? Stacy called over to him. Uh, just a lighter. Not bad looking, either. Score! She looked at it, her eyes lighting up in an instant. I used to have one just like that back in the day. God, what I wouldn't give for a smoke right now. Stacy sighed as she continued to flip the object in her hands. Jim piped up. Off the wagon already? 
I'm disappointed. Oh, and lighting up in here would probably blow the whole sewer. Uh, methane and all that. Stacy scowled and rolled her eyes for a moment, before allowing her expression to soften. Yeah, yeah. Still want it, though. Stacy returned the lighter, picked up her shovel, and began to dig again. Matt looked once more at his find and unzipped his suit slightly, pocketing the object. He had a pack on him, but he wasn't willing to tempt her nor himself with the smoke. Jim and Matt made some small talk about local sports, letting Stacy simmer a bit before joining her. They all resumed their work, until Jim made a find of his own. What the hell? Jim looked pale as he held a stained piece of glossy paper. His expression was not just puzzled, but deeply shocked. It seemed like a photo of some kind. Matt turned to him. Hey, you okay, man? Matt asked, looking over his co-worker's shoulder. It was a faded picture of two men, one teenage and the other clearly older. The boy held a soccer ball and wore the appropriate jersey uniform to match, while the other man maintained a scruffy salt-and-pepper beard and donned a black dress shirt. They looked happy. Jim, you okay? Jim? Matt grabbed his shoulder and shook him slightly, causing the older man to reflexively shove him away. Matt stumbled into the sewage and Jim finally turned to look at him. Oh, uh, I I'm sorry. Um, it it's just... It's just my father and I, uh, after a soccer game. I haven't seen this picture in 35 years. I, I, I don't know how it could have got here. Jim stared down at the photo again, examining it from as many angles as possible. What the fuck is going on? He whispered. His eyes were glassy and harbored a far stare. He dropped the photo and shook his head, unenthusiastically beginning to dig once more. Some, something weird is going on, guys. I don't know how it's possible for that picture to be here, and I, I swear I just saw an old doll of mine float by in the stream, Stacy said, audibly shaken. Just drop it and finish the job, Jim said, a bitter tone entering his voice. But Jim, I... Fucking drop it. The trio went silent for another long while. Matt noticed more familiar objects playing cards, old keys, even a particular black frisbee he swore he recognized but didn't call it out. The pores of the old brickwork seemed to sweat out a slimy grease that rhythmically dripped into the sewer below. The stench was getting even worse now as they carved deeper into the bowels of this monstrosity. Then he saw it. A rat, dead, wearing a purple collar around its neck, sat upon a heap of the fatberg. No, there, there's no way. Matt began to breathe faster, soon ripping off his face mask to retch into the sewer below him. Christ, Matt, what's wrong? The rat? Stacy asked, rushing over to put a hand on his back. Dina, he choked out. Look at the collar. Stacy trudged over and inspected the collar, confirming his statement. H how did you know? You didn't even touch the thing. Her voice wavered as she forced the words past a heavy swallow. Because she was mine, Matt remembered, more than a decade ago, his middle school pet. He'd recognize that collar anywhere. Something seriously wrong is going on. I lost Dina years ago, there's no way she could be here. And that picture Jim saw? It's just not possible. 
It's not right in here, Jim said. Everything's just off somehow. I can't explain it. They discussed for a moment, doubling back, but eventually came to the conclusion that Matt and Stacy both needed the money and couldn't afford to abandon the job. Jim continued ahead of them, excavating as they cleared the walking room. They had quite the large tunnel made at this point, and the amount of objects they recognized was staggering. It was all they could do not to stop and check every missing sock, baseball, and scum-soaked greeting card they came across. As the tunnel widened and deepened, a solid 15 feet forward and 10 across now, the oppressive feeling strengthened accordingly. Matt couldn't help but feel like they were being swallowed by darkness and by this wet, putrid, fatty cave. The walls were nearly as solid as rock, and that once brownish matter took on a speckled gray tone to match. Their digging was once again interrupted, this time by a sickening shriek from Stacy. Amir! She cried as she began to claw and scrape at the Fatberg ceiling with her gloves. Help me! It, it's him, stuck up there! Matt shot a look at Jim, confused. Jim wore an expression of fatherly concern on his aging face as he moved to put his hands on Stacy's shoulder. Amir's been gone a long while, Stace. There's nothing up there. He said, pulling her away slightly from the spot she was fixated on. Stacy turned to him, crying, and sat down for a moment. Dirty gloves smudging her faceplate as she held her head in her hands. Who's... Amir? Matt asked quietly. Several moments passed as Stacy faded back to reality, looking at Matt. My... He was my husband. We... We married straight out of college. Um... He got cancer, uh, pancreatic. She sniffled for a moment. Didn't make it. I had just turned 26, so... That was, what, five years ago now? God. Feels like just yesterday. Jim put his hand on her back. It's okay, Stace. It's been a long time. Whatever you're seeing up there, it can't be him, alright? But I see him, Jim! She stood up, tears streaming down her face. I, I gotta dig him out, just, just a check, please. She was nearly shouting at this point. Stay, stop! Jim cried as he moved in her way to block her. Determined, she shoved him out of the way, right into Matt, a few feet forward of where she'd seen Amir. As Stacy repeatedly dug her shovel into the leftward ceiling of the tunnel, she collapsed it right over her. Rubble and waste rained from the top, crushing her and blanketing the remaining two in darkness as they heard a sickening crunch, and a muffled scream soon stifled. No! They cried in unison as the two men leapt over to where the ceiling had fallen in on their friend. There was no saving her now. Several thousand pounds of solid material had crushed her where she stood and just barely left them unscathed. Even Jim's stoic demeanor broke into a heaping sob that echoed across the walls of their remaining stretch of excavation. The two sat in darkness for what felt like hours, not even bearing to turn on their flashlights. Water scarcely ran through the cracks in the boulders that blocked their path backward now. Jim broke the silence after an eternity. Kid? Do you hear that? Hear what? Matt replied. 
He didn't notice anything but the dripping of the soggy mass above them. Lay your head to the ground, Jim said, finally turning on his head-mounted flashlight to face Matt. Matt did so and noticed it. A rhythmic pulse. Some slight expansion with a near imperceptible rumble. It's breathing, Jim said gravely. Matt pulled his head up and sat in horror. It all made sense. The objects, the picture, the rat, Amir and Stacy. Something was playing tricks on them. From the sound of it, that thing was a living amalgamation of grease, tissue, and discarded waste. By the way it looked now, he and Jim were surrounded completely by its fleshy body. Matt's breathing began to rush, not sure how to take in this realization. He ripped off his mask and heaved into the muck all around them. They couldn't move back now. But how far had they come? Matt, putting aside his nausea, thought for a moment. Surely they should have been out of the other end by now, with how far they dug. But the fleshy cave hadn't thinned out yet, meaning they had to be close to the center. Matt shivered at that thought. He turned to Jim, who stared at the far wall, ten to fifteen feet across from him. Jim looked back at him and his face softened. You're right, kid. I just needed to check. Having found that the vision was just an illusion, Jim seemed ready to continue forward. But when he pulled back, his arm didn't seem to budge. Hey, give me a hand here, he said, looking pained. Matt reached over and attempted to help pry his colleague free, but to no avail. It, it's getting tighter. Jim choked out as Matt began to panic. He could see the waist swirl and contort to squeeze harder on Jim's arm. The older man began to cry out as Matt could hear bones cracking and blood pooling through the rubber suit. He kept pulling, and ten seconds later yanked a limp and blood-soaked arm out of the hole. Jim cursed and cried, his useless appendage dangling at his side like a loose sleeve. Matt felt sick, in fear of this place and whatever brought it to life. Fuck, man! Oh god, oh my fucking god! Sensing no time to mourn, Matt dug in a frenzy, scooping as much mass out of the way as he could muster while the older man tried to stifle his whimpering. After fifteen excruciating minutes, Matt sank his spade into the wall a final time, the blade piercing through a few inches of bile before once again reaching an open space. The force shot Matt forward, sending him tumbling through the waste in dark, pitch-black room. It was large, spanning the width of the whole pipe, as it seemed larger. As his eyes adjusted, he noticed small flecks of light, like stars. They dotted around the mysterious cavern, seemingly floating in front of him, stationary and dim. It helped to round out the shape of the room, indicating a vaguely spherical shape at which he'd entered aligned with the middle. The lights were somewhat orange in tone, lightly pulsing from that color to a duller brown. He reached out to touch one, almost absent-mindedly, but immediately recoiled. The speck was not a pinprick of light and empty space, but 
more like the light of an angler, as it was just an enticing dot that compelled him towards the real presence. What he grabbed was a fleshy cylinder, like intestines stretched from the wall of the sewer to something at the center. It pulsated in his hand, internally moving some sort of liquid out towards the berg's walls. Falling backwards, Matt scrambled to Jim, who still moaned in pain, and wordlessly pulled the man's headlamp off. On his hands and knees, he crawled through the hole he'd created, determined to gaze upon whatever was in this deathly space. He found himself the fool. Flicking the lamp on, he stood back in shock. The room was, as he'd thought, too big for the tunnel. Brownish growths, semi-transparent and filled with rushing sewage, dug into the brick, creating the spherical room he stood in now as they ripped clay and mortar from the surroundings onto the floor. A floor he now knew was covered in a thin, fleshy membrane, likely a millimeter thick or less. It was almost like dirty bubblegum freshly popped from an inflated state. Up from the floor was a central membrane, formed from the berg's fatty walls. Like an altar of rotten bile, several times thicker than the tubes that ran across the room. As he moved his head up, he witnessed what lay at the center. A shape beat rhythmically, itself pumping the disgusting liquid into the tendrils, which he understood now to be veins for the horrible being rather than intestines. For this organ was unmistakably a heart, powering the whole monstrous structure. It was formed out of the same material as the rest of the central room, propped up on an altar of filth and disease. Matt was breathless. He shone the light back towards Jim, who had done his best to stumble towards the cavern, near blind with pain and dripping dark blood. Jim walked between the veins for a few moments, stepping over and ducking under them with little grace or dexterity as Mount called out to him. Jim, what's going on? Can you hear me? He cried to no response. Suddenly, the man collapsed, falling face first into the squishy membrane of the cavern. His breathing seemed slow, but present, a fact compelling Matt to rush over at a breakneck pace to the other end of the room. Matt desperately tried to get Jim to move, but he had clearly lost consciousness. Please, man, you, you have to get up. We have to get away from this thing. It's gonna... As he spoke, the wall opposite his original excavation opened up, the displaced material spilling out around him. It turned to a hot grease, likely its original state when carelessly poured down the drain and washed like a wave over Jim, solidifying once more. It clearly had some awful intelligence, no doubt animated by the heart that lay just a few feet behind him. More came forth, burying the old man in waste as Matt stood helpless in the knowledge that any attempt to free Jim would doubtless get his hands stuck as well. He felt numb, not crying out, not feeling disgust nor nausea. Matt simply felt cold determination to flee, an emotion brought onto him by the icy blade of total fear. Without a word, he simply picked up his shovel and dug right into the depression made by the rolling waves of filth. He dug non-stop for, it seemed, hours. The farther he got from the heart of it all, the more malleable the walls became and the faster his escape. And eventually, he found the exterior once more. 
Finally, Matt had escaped the fleshy mass that had held him prisoner and killed his two partners. But as he looked in front of him, he saw something. A woman. It was an older woman, with frizzy hair, comfortable knitted clothing, and earrings that dangled at either side of her head. She looked at Matt, who was covered in filth and wearing ripped protective rubber clothing, and gave him a soft smile. At once, Matt dropped the shovel. He felt a combination of intense longing and deep sadness and walked towards the figure. Mom? He croaked, tears welling up in his eyes. He looked upon her dark face, mostly free from the wrinkles and lines that had once scarred her visage, and saw her staring at him with a loving gaze. Yes, Maddie. Are you ready to go home now? She asked a sweet smile coming across her lips. Matt heard something swirl in the water, but didn't turn around to look. Yes, he stammered between sobs. He took a step towards his mother. It's okay. I'm here, Maddie, she whispered, beckoning him further. As Matt looked up to face her, he finally looked her in the eyes. They were empty like pools of ink, and they betrayed no emotion or human insight. He shook his head, summoning previously lost clarity. No. You're dead, he finally uttered. Matt remembered the day. She'd forgotten something for dinner that night. She made it two blocks from their apartment before getting into a car wreck, driving across the street just as a high-speed chase had reached the intersection. Matt never found out if the officer or the criminal had been the one to hit her, but it didn't matter to him. All he remembered was waiting at home for hours as the noodles boiled into mush. Matt heard the sloshing sound again, this time turning around to see snaking tendrils moving behind him readying to snatch him by the ankles and drag him back into the mass. He started forward, turning to see his mother again, this time bloodied and mangled, bones cracked and jutting out, her face shredded by glass and shrapnel. But as soon as he saw that horrible sight, he sprinted through it, dispelling the illusion cast by the demon that had tried one last time to toy with him. Matt ran at a breakneck pace, looking back to see the tendrils picking up speed behind him, as his search for an exit finally culminated in a ladder visible about 40 feet in front of him. But as he approached safety, he realized that he couldn't be sure of his survival unless this thing was destroyed. He lived in the city. What could it do to him if he was still connected to the sewer system through every drain in his apartment? Not to mention the people that would end up going down here to recover the others. He reached the ladder back to the surface and had a sudden realization, thinking back to Jim's words, almost a day prior. Lighting up in here would probably blow the whole sewer. Methane and all that. Matt remembered his friend saying, before the tunnels had become so sinister. He felt around, reaching in his suit to recover the lighter and the pack of cigarettes he possessed. He looked down again, a wave of pulsing tubes swimming around and reaching up towards him. In an instant, he pulled a cig from the pack and lit it, dropping it down into the swirling mass as he reached the surface.
So, what's your story again? A police officer said to a distraught Matt, who shivered with fear. We were clearing the fatberg out, and one of the guys struck a gas line. It started leaking, and I was the only one who could get out before the whole thing blew. Matt lied. He'd told the story ten or so times in the past three hours, as cleanup crews, firefighters, medics, police, and other sanitation workers came by to witness the scene. He'd gotten pretty good at telling it, knowing there was no way to recant what actually happened. Matt sat for a while, a thick blanket wrapped around him, and his stinking suit radiating noxious fumes. He sobbed for Stacy, for Jim, and for his mother, and simply at the thought of whatever abomination could have found its way into the heart of the sewer. But eventually, someone else came to him. A strange man in a fine maroon suit, accompanied by a pale-looking companion who wore a hood over his head, despite the clear, sunny day. He crouched down to look Matt in the eyes. Hi, I'm Jamil West. This is my partner, Darren. We're with an investigative group of sorts. We know something more went on here than you're telling authorities. We get it. Ever want to spill a real story? Call us. He handed Matt a business card that read DAO in gold lettering, with a phone number below it. The pair began to walk off as Matt looked up in confusion. Oh, and if you run into our sister org and they ask about the incident, don't let them rope you into their messes. This is our case file. We look forward to hearing your side of the story, Matthew.